Our sermon text comes from the book of Romans in chapter 8 this morning. In Romans, Paul presents uh, his gospel in full. He works through it in detail for eight chapters, and he finally arrives at, at so what. And at the great climax, the so what is the Spirit helps us in our weakness, and he spins out all of the promises that he gave in the first eight chapters. I'll start in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that we, that he, might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, we continue our series on uh, reordered love. Um, I've chosen about eight different subjects, topics, mentioned that there's dozens and dozens more about um, the reordering of our loves. Um, we are going to cover next week uh, just love. What does it look like to pursue justice in our relationships and in our community and in our world? So, um, so that's kind of the gist of it, is that we're, we're talking about how disordered our loves are and how reordered they need to be through the gospel. Uh, as I stand here uh, before you, I am reflecting on uh, two stories that may uh, sound a little bit disjointed, but the first one is, well, you would think that I am um, a person who is very confident in God's care for me. You would think that. Uh, I'm a pastor. Um, I, I read a lot. I read the Bible a great deal. You would think that I'm a person uh, who, who understands uh, this very subject of being assured of God's love and his presence, particularly when you hear this story that December 2nd, 1971, uh, India and Pakistan were having a war, and uh, there was one problem with the Capon family. We were living in Pakistan at the time. December 2nd, we were trying to drive uh, from a little place about 400 miles north of Karachi, Pakistan. We are going to fly out of Karachi that night. There was a 747 waiting for us. During war times, it's kind of nice. The United States mobilizes, and, and if you uh, want to get out, usually a, uh, an opportunity is afforded you to get out. So we are driving along in a carpool that didn't work very well. And my father is driving. Uh, everyone on, in our, we've, we've gone about 340 miles or so that day. We've done pretty well across the desert. And there's a, there's a herd of Brahma bulls. And uh, it's about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. We've got a six, about a 6 o'clock plane that we think we, we're going to try and catch. It's pretty important to get there. There's a war going on. These brown bulls uh, come across the, the highway. It's a beautiful highway. 
The sun is starting to go down the horizon a bit there, and it's beautiful. I remember seeing this gold, gold grains, and just beautiful. Uh, most of the people were asleep in the car. My dad was driving this uh, Chevy Suburban-type car, and I'm in the back, and the Brahma bulls are walking across the, the highway. Quirky thing happened. The biggest one. It had to be the biggest one, right? Suddenly starts galloping and jumping and acting skittishly, and, and uh, he runs in front of our car. And uh, you know how when you wipe out and things, you've been in an accident or things slow down, right? Slow motion. I remember slow motion going, that's a big bull. It's in front of us. And I put my feet on the front of the, on the back of the, the uh, seat in front of me. I heard a big boom. Uh, I I'm probably the only person in the room here who's seen a 2,500-pound Brahma bull fly. <laughs> I saw it fly. It went over our car. And uh, I don't think I quite did this, you know, but it was flying. It flew over our car. Is that amazing? And it landed, uh, and it was very much dead. And we were very much in trouble because the car was completely smashed. We pulled over, and uh, we waited. Now, here's the, tr- here's the trouble. Uh, we haven't even entered into the trouble yet. The trouble is no one is traveling on this road. Because it's, a war, it's wartime. Cars get attacked on the road. Uh, jets fly over and attack vehicles. So no one drives on the road. No one is driving on this road. We are waiting for some help. The carpool we, we thought we were part of kept going. We pull over and we're waiting. A little boy who had been tending these uh, bulls running off into the, into the uh, hills. And he brought back his cousins and his uncles. And slowly, they surrounded our vehicle. These tall Arab tribesmen surrounded our vehicle. They said nothing. About 20 of them. They were carrying these tall staffs that they used to tend their sheep and, you know, cut their their, uh, crops down with. But they were like swords, you know, medieval-looking things. They said nothing. Then a lady showed up who owned the bull. And she was screaming at us. We were feeding her American cigarettes, calming her down. We could not communicate with these people. We were foreigners. We were Americans. Uh, A good 30 minutes goes by. We don't know what's going to happen. And then the small little white, uh, some of you know them by the name of Nissan. They used to be called Datsuns. A small little white Datsun going about 18 miles an hour. Slowly on the horizon, comes toward us. Takes him forever to get to us. He pulls over, a nicely dressed young man, Pakistani man, speaks beautiful English, speaks Urdu, and he speaks their tribal language. It was why we don't know what it was. He converses with them, calms the lady down, and my dad works out a deal. He says, look, you've got to get your men to watch our luggage all night long. We'll pay you $100 now for the bull and $100 tomorrow. I don't know where my dad came up with that idea, but it worked. And I jumped into that car with uh, some moms and a bunch of other kids, kind of looked like a clown car, you know, all kinds of things. We're all just packed in there. And we drove off, left my father and this other uh, gentleman named Jesse. He, uh, they came in, and they found the hotel in Karachi about 3 a.m. that night. They jumped on a city bus that just so- suddenly showed up. Now, you would think 
that one who's been delivered by a Pakistani man who uh, comes out of the middle of nowhere uh, and delivers, you would think that I would be pretty confident in God's care for me, wouldn't you think? That is an extraordinary story. And I reflect on it quite often because I don't remember it very well when I need to. I don't remember it when I absolutely need to remember that God is caring for me. I am uh, kind of an orphan in this world. I am not sure uh, how things are going to work out as my life unfolds. But you would think, because of God's track record in my life, you would think I would do better. Another story. Um, On the island here, it's a bit frustrating to work with handymen. How many of you have ever had a frustration working with someone who came to put in like a ceiling fan or something? Just, just a simple project. Raise your hand. You won't get in trouble. There you go. Okay, good. All right, good. Uh, that is a, it's a challenging thing on the island. I don't know why, but I went to a home and garden uh, show down at the, uh, at the Blaisdell. I went there for one purpose, to find the handyman. I was on a mission. I went there, and I found the handyman section. There they are, all their business cards, all their amazing pictures of what they do, crazy things, right? So I, I went, and I had one question for each of them. I said, if I ask you to come and put a ceiling fan in, in my house, and you, you say you'll be there at, uh, at 8 o'clock on Saturday morning, will you show up? That's what I said. And one guy looked at me, they, they all were quite taken back by the question. No, I'm just asking, 8 o'clock in the morning, if you say you'll be there, will you be there? Finally, one guy with absolute confidence says, yeah, I'll be there, of course. So I hired him. And you know what? For... Um, a few Saturdays, he did really well. But do you know what happened? There was a Saturday when he didn't show and didn't tell me. Ah, uh, and then uh, he just sort of faded away. He's the guy who, when I went to that uh, Home and Garden Depot uh, Expo, uh, I had a plan, and here's the plan: is I will not get burned by a handyman. I'm going to find the one who is going to help me and come through for me. And uh, that's going to be our opening relationship uh, establishing question. Uh, Will you be there? And guess what? He failed me. I say this because I had a strategy. And I think I'm like you. When it comes to being uh, assured of my life is coming together, my life is being pulled together, I am a master of my life, I'm in control, I want to live in a self-protective way, I want to manipulate and manage and figure out things so I don't ever have to experience the suffering of human failure. I am like you in the sense that we want to create sort of a dominion for our world and not have to actually uh, deal with the messiness of the world or the disappointments of the world. Uh, I wanted to have a fail-safe relationship with that handyman. You would think someone who has been rescued on a road outside of Karachi, Pakistan by by a total stranger, you would think I would believe in the providence of God, no matter how people disappoint me or not disappoint me, you would think I would be much more confident in how to to just live my life and enjoy the providence of God and God's assuring love for me. There are different people here in this room today. There are some who are are, uh, very much assured of God's love. You are very convinced of God's love for you. It is a practical reality for you. It is part of of, of, of the way you live. You know God loves you. You are aware of it. It's, uh, it's the air that you breathe. 
Others of us are a little bit skeptical. We have to be, continue to be reassured of it. We're, uh, we're not sure. We're, we're only as good as how our day is going, right? I, I'm, probably, I'm probably in that category. Uh, and, uh, and that whole sense of, of uh, I have to be convinced uh, over and over and over. Some of us may, in fact, be resistant to the idea that I'm to rely on God in such a way, and we're actually uh, opposed to the idea. And even though we may be religious, we may be attending church, the way we actually function in life is that we're very much like me with that handyman, is that we're just, we're just getting agreements and getting deals, and we're making sure that we don't ever have to, uh, have to suffer. And uh, religious talk or God talk or Bible talk is really not part of it because we've got a way to live our life. We have strategies on how to be assured that we, what we envision as happiness is going to take place. So we've been following this idea that Augustine's the one who said that essentially before we believe and before we think, we love. And we love certain um, imaginations in our mind. We, we're pursuing happiness. Augustine also is the one who said that when man sinned, we lost piety, we lost holiness, and we lost happiness. But here's the zinger, he said, but we haven't stopped trying to find happiness. And so we, we live, uh, even as Christians, recovering from this disordered world where we're trying to be assured that we're okay, we're happy, we're pursuing the right things. It's a, it's a twisted world. It's a, a world that is full of idols. It's a world that we are, at some, some today, may even be unaware of how driven you are by certain kinds of happiness-seeking. We're almost unaware of it. Romans 8 is a wonderful passage because it is designed for, for us as we pursue the true assurances of what God has done to anchor us with what is truly permanent and deeply joyful. Romans 8 is the passage in your Bible. If you can only uh, grab one tear-out sheet of your Bible, imagine if you ever had to do that, and you can only bring one sheet of the Bible with you, wherever you're going, if you're gonna, wherever you're headed, you've got to have one sheet of the Bible. I would recommend Romans 8. It's the one place that you will find so much to reflect on. And Romans 8, 26 is where I'd like to start. When we start looking at this whole idea of being assured of God's love, it starts in verse 26, and it starts with an, an acknowledgement of weakness. It's really quite remarkable. It says that we don't even know how to pray. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Well, what kind of weakness? We do not know what to pray for as we ought. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I, uh, I'm sure that each of us are um, somewhat disappointed in our prayer life. Uh, you sort of stumble with words, and you're not quite sure what to say. Here's the first step of, um, of being assured that you're connected to God, and that is God has given you the Spirit, and the Spirit is now working at a, a level where you are communing with God and communicating with God because the Spirit is helping you at a fundamental place of weakness, you don't know your deepest need. 
Isn't that interesting? You're pursuing happiness. You're pursuing things. You're, you're developing habits to pursue the, the, the happiness that you, you want to achieve. You, uh, you, you have loves. You have pursuits, priorities. And the Bible comes along speaking to Christians and saying, you don't even know what to pray for. You don't, know how to, you don't know how to direct your prayer to the correct thing that God is doing in you. But the Spirit is guiding and working your prayers uh, to the Father, and they are becoming effectual. That's the, that's the first sort of opening salvo uh, that we need to think about, that we are so weak, we're not even sure how to direct our hearts to the right object when it comes to prayer. I, want, uh, I would desire that you would, in, the, in these next few moments, acknowledge, wow, Lord, if that's true, if I don't even know how to pray, then I don't know, I don't know what's good for me. I don't know what, what I should be pursuing by way of happiness. I am fundamentally confused. I would ask that you would, at some point, you would begin to say, I think that's me. I think I, I don't know. Uh, the reason why I was so hard on the handyman, some of you guys are going to give me a look like, boy, he's kind of a hard guy. Wow. Uh, the reason why I was so hard on that guy is because you don't know how frustrating it is to want to have your house in order and the guy who's supposed to help you doesn't help you. And do you know what I can make? In an instant, I can make my house an idol. Quicker, quicker than I can finish that sentence I, I, can, I, can, I can make my house my comfort, you see? And if God would let me go, how would I pray? Oh, God, build me a castle. Make me a home with nothing but comforts that I can imagine. In other words, I could spend the rest of my life imagining going through all the home magazines. I could just do it. I go to the doctor's office. I'm fascinated. Wow, look what you can do with a living room. That's amazing. What's the, where's that website? Write that down. Do you see how your heart can cling to something and then you fixate on that and say, that and that alone is happiness, and you, handyman, I will not treat you as a, a, a one who's made in the image of God. I will treat you with law. And I will come to you with law. Now, he needs to come through, and that's true. And I, I think you need to hold people accountable to the words that they say, yes. But for me, it was driven by self-protection. I want to be protected from not suffering from a leaky faucet. I have been raised in the American way of thinking that to suffer, to have to bear with people, uh, that is just not what you have to do. You can move on and, and get on with the things that you think will satisfy you. Fundamentally, first one, right off the bat, to be assured of God's love has to do with an acknowledgement Lord, I don't even know my own needs. Verse 26, let that inform you. And then it moves on here. Verse 27 uh, speaks of, it says, And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And then that leads to verse 28. Look at verse 28. And we know... That though that those who love God, for those who love God, all things work together for good. Look at verse twenty-eight. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, 
for those who are called according to his purpose. All right. The second area of weakness coming out of this text is we have to be informed that God is moving in his providence for our good. Every aspect of our life is moving toward the good that God intends for us. And that is, in our circles, that's a, that's a verse we use quite a bit. And we know that God works all things together for the good to those who love God, right? We, we hear that a lot. But, uh, but we haven't done uh, some of the hard work to really translate that into our lives, where we are really talking to ourselves about how we're responding to our circumstances, where we are really uh, dialoguing with God and so that this has real freight to it. Um, that is a trite phrase used in, uh, in Christian counseling. Uh, hey, here's a verse and a prayer, um, and, uh, and, be, and be, be, be gone and do well and do good. Uh, remember Romans 8.28. Um, it can be a very scary verse if we are honest. If we look at the things that we have experienced in life, the hardship and the suffering, and then, uh, and then you hear this in church and you, you hear the preacher use this word and you say, man, I, if, I don't want that good. I don't see anything about it that is good. Uh, I, don't, I cannot glibly just hang around religious people and talk about that. I have really suffered. I have really been through something hard. And, uh, and you're asking me to receive that uh, under some master plan. And, and here is the call upon all of us. We are all called to do deep theology at this stage. All of us are called. If these Bible verses are meant to assure us and to comfort us, we have got to do the deep work upon our hearts to make these sink deep. Uh, it, it is not enough to just write this on a, on a card when someone is grieving or something. That would be just, just it's just not going to work. But to prepare for life as it is, we should all be doing work at this level to be reading and praying and thinking deeply about what God is up to. We imagine, here's what we do, to be assured that we are pursuing the good life and the happy life we are imagining. We're getting our ideas from people around us, from people at work, from magazines, from the culture at large. We are imagining beings. We are imagining the good life. As a kid on the, on the school bus, we would stop at a certain place in elementary school right on Sunset Boulevard in Redlands, California. We'd pause there for a long time, and I would stare out the window, and there was this beautiful brick house with a white picket fence. And every day around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm staring at this beautiful brick house with a white picket fence. I'm a little kid. What do I care about bricks? What do I care about fences? And there it was, this beautiful aesthetic feel, and I longed. I longed to someday have a house like that. This young little boy. It's imagining. It's giving, it has a power over me. It's like carbohydrates. It has a power over me. And, and I feel its power. I feel it. I feel its imagination uh, overtaking me. And you see, then it can shape habits for me, and it can shape the way I, my attitudes. It can become identity formation. I can find out that's who I am. Don't you understand? That's what I was made for. You are much 
But you are working constantly, and I am working constantly at the deep identity formation uh, w- uh, levels. Uh, it's happening all the time. It's happening right now. <laughs> you're wondering if this is worth it. You're, you're, you're assessing whether or not this is actually going to lead to happiness or not. That's actually happening. It, 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 that's the way we are. You, you, we're constantly assessing, is this good? Is it right? Is it going to work? Where's it leading to? Why should I be committed to this? Why should I do that? It's, a con- it's the way we are. And I was assessing, hey, that's a nice brick house. That's worth investing in. That's worth pursuing. I'm, like, I'm a fifth grader. What am I thinking like that for? That's what I've been made for. I'm, 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 I'm overwhelmed by my desires. So, Romans 8.28. How's it going? Is that where you are finding your deep assurance? And here is the last thought I want to share with you. Remember I said that we're imagining creatures. You're imagining the good life, imagining the, the, the happy life. And here's, the, here's one more weakness. You can't imagine correctly. You can't imagine correctly because the next couple of verses tell us a lot more. Let me, let me just share this. All, we know that all things work together for the good, uh, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those who, whom he foreknew. Look at verse 29. For those who he foreknew, uh, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. What are, we to be, what, uh, uh, do we, are we born in this world saying, you know, I would like to be like Jesus Christ? No, we're not. I would like to be, we insert our own imaginations. Our fundamental weakness is that we do not imagine correctly. And so now we have the Spirit of God in us. We have the Word of God working even right now to what? To make you desire to be conformed to the image of God. Now that is, God's working at the desire level, and he's also helping you see that the whole of your life, all the design of your life, the sorrows, the hardships, the darkness, the deep things, the the things you would never have wished for yourself, all these things are working. They're working for good. They're working for good. I can't imagine it. That's That's why we have the Spirit. He's moving in us that you would imagine. Imagine what? Imagine being conformed to Jesus. And God uses a fallen world to do that. You are going to be part of, of these who have been shaped into the image of Christ. You are a, a brother and daughter uh, in the kingdom of God, in this wonderful family. And, uh, and here's the hard thing. God uses this fallen world to shape us for this ultimate, wonderful goal of being like his son. Why? that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. He is the forerunner. He never asks us to enter into something that he hasn't been the first pace setter uh, in. Jesus Christ came to this world, and people had other plans. Jesus Christ declared who he was, and people had other plans. Jesus Christ declared... Uh, with absolute clarity who he was, I am the way, the truth, and the life, people had other plans. Uh, they were so committed to those other plans that were driven by their imaginations about what they, what they thought would be the good life, what they would love. They so imagined it. They, they were so engripped, so, so uh, enraptured by it, so taken by the imagination of their hearts. They were so taken by it. They said to this one man who stood against them and said, that apart from me you could do nothing. He stood against them and said, I am the way and the truth and the life. To this one they said no. And their, their master plan of their life 
didn't include him, and so they crucified him. And he was willing to submit himself to be the Lamb of God in the great plan of God that you might be redeemed from all your fallen imagination and you might become a child of God through his death, through his resurrection. You, you have been given insight into the dramas of life. You know tragedy, but you also know there's victory. You see darkness, but you also see light. You see how Satan can work, but you can see how he's defeated. You can see how God takes disciples who are fearful and makes them courageous. You see it. You see it in the Bible. What is God after? He's after that you would see things differently, see the great plan, and move from self into others' lives. To name a book that you'd become instruments in the Redeemer's hands. You would do something absolutely uh, revolutionary. You would take all this and say, Lord, if it's really true, then I'll become a risk taker. I'll move out from my inward. Uh, I could spend decades and decades and decades committed to my inward journey. And I see now that I am safe. It is not easy to say it, but I see that I'm safe. I'm going to move I'm going to move with you, God. I'm going to move with you. I'm going to move out, and I'm going to move into the risk, risking world. I'm going to actually, this is crazy, I'm going, to ask, I'm going to actually pursue hardship. I'm going, to, I'm going to say to myself, die. I'm going to follow Jesus. And he's going to take care of me. And if this is so true, that all things are working together, I want to start with the conviction that I know that, that I know that, that I know that. Now, the easiest thing this morning has been preaching about it. I've done the easy job. The hardest thing is to wake up tomorrow morning and say, okay then, Lord, here I am, here are my troubles, here's my inwardness, here's my focus on myself, and I ask that you'd slay all that and help me participate with your kingdom and your mission and move outward. Let me ask you, how have your words been around the house? Have your words been related to these truths we've talked about this morning? Have you spoken as if they were really true? Have you spoken as if there really is a master plan where you are assured of God's love, you are safe, and now you can enter into a dialogue with your, your spouse, a conversation that is kingdom-directed, kingdom-concerned. Are your words reflective of really believing this stuff? Is there something to repent of? Is there something where you have become uh, so self-protective that your fears are gripping you, and they are, they are overwhelming you, and they are characterizing all of your pursuits. And can you say, Lord, I give you these fears. I give you, I give you the, the imagination of my heart where I would take hold of my life and fashion it according to my own design. Lord, I give you these, I give you these fears. And I ask that you would replace, replace these fears with a great confidence in your assuring love for me. And help me to engage people, to practice the one another's in church, uh, with the people within, uh, I fe- with whom I fellowship, but practice also evangelism and, and a concern for those who are lost. And when you experience disappointment, 
Uh, you, you pursue the handyman. Uh, you, you, you're not blown away uh, by how your needs were not met. You're actually okay. And you can move into, into someone else's life and call and find out how they are doing. You see, if we're tracking with the gospel, it looks like power and it looks like freedom. That's what Romans 8, 26 through 30 is all about. And here is the great news. The big event has already happened if you're a believer in Jesus because this passage concludes with all those who are justified will be glorified. Take the burden away from your activity and if you feel like you've got to do a lot of things, I want you to know something. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the most wonderful thing has happened. God has put away his sentence upon you and he has declared you to be his child through Jesus Christ. You are justified. The big step has already taken place. And the final step is glorification. And so be assured of God's great love for you, that you are already with him in eternity, enjoying uh, the work of Christ. So may you be conformed to the image of Christ Sunday after Sunday, But Monday through Saturday, enjoy this, pursue this, live by faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel's power. Thank you that it it works right where the self would be preoccupied. Thank you for your grace that moves us, that we are justified through Jesus Christ, declared to be those who are now no longer held under the law and its guilt. And I pray you'd help us to believe that we are so assured of your love toward us that we can now move in a risk-taking life and to serve your great purposes. I pray you'd grant us a passion to do what you've called us to do, being so assured of of your love. We thank you in the name of Christ who came for us. Amen.